Thanks be to God. So the title of today's sermon uh, well, it came, comes from a throwaway line in last week's sermon where I said, Weed your garden, bro. And if you don't like the title, you can thank Jonathan for that because he called my attention to it after the sermon. And he had written it down in his bulletin. I thought it looks so handsome in a bulletin that we might as well include it this week. Um, in the same way, this parable is sort of a, 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 a flow out, a, a, a sequel to last week's parable. Last week's parable was about a farmer going out and, and sowing seed out in the field and just wastes a bunch of it, right? And some of it ends up falling into this weedy place. And what do the weeds do? They do what weeds do. They choke out the good stuff and they cause it not to be able to grow and produce fruit. And so the good seed dies. And so that's what you expect when you hear this parable, except the farmer, once again, is a joke. And he says, no, 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 leave the weeds. It's fine. We'll just figure it out at the end, at the harvest, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like not in farming, not in the, these parable worlds. It just doesn't make sense. That's, you don't need an agricultural degree to figure out that the weeds should not be there. This is just bad farming. But he says, leave it to the end. We'll separate it at the end. And at the end, then they will shine like the sun in the kingdom. And so we would presume that the kingdom of God then is like a field uh, without any weeds in it. It is pure and unspoiled by the other. Walt Disney is a genius. I want to get that fact out there right up front. He's a genius. He took a cartoon rodent and he has made a multi-billion dollar empire out of it. The man is unreal, right? So he makes these movies, which are really just 90-minute advertisements for toys and clothing line and other sorts of merchandise. And we all buy it. It works. Back in like 2014, uh, we had like 150 little girls come through our front yard, knock on our door at Halloween, and I think three of them did not have on a Frozen costume. Three out of 150. Uh, it works. That machine works. He knows his business. Uh, but he is brilliant. Because the most money-making scheme he's ever come up with, by far, is Walt Disney World. So back in like the 50s or the 60s, he started buying swampland in the middle of Florida where no one would ever want to go. Because it's awful. It's hot, sticky, there's no breeze, nothing. So he picks this place. He, he, he makes a bunch of shell companies so that no one figures out it's one dude buying it all so they could jack up the price. And he buys all of this contiguous land and he built on it. A theme park and it's really out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of Florida and, and sort of uh, metropolitan city grew up around it but back then it Kissimmee and, and St. Cloud and all of this it was nothing there was nothing out there so he builds this theme park and it really is like its own separate world you drive onto the property and at some point there's Mickey Mouse ears everywhere and every single thing that you see is supposed to be there that's the genius of Walt Disney World is everywhere you look, it's intended to be exactly that way. So you eat their food. You have to buy their merchandise because the kids see it everywhere. And you watch their TV stations because that's what they play on the TVs there. You listen to their music. Everything is all Disney all the time. It is brilliant, right? As a Floridian, uh, I grew up down there. About 90% of all of my vacations were to Walt Disney World. 
because they gave deep Florida resident discounts. And so I wasn't unusual in this. A bunch of my friends, all of us sort of grew up in this world where you got those discounted annual passes and you went three or four times a year. So you were raised to be a Disney kid. You were raised in that magical world and you were going to be loyal to it. Uh, So many of us, most of us, by the time we got to Spanish class, the Spanish teacher would ask us, do you know anything in Spanish? And all of us would go, we know one sentence. It's what they play on the monorail. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Please stand clear of the doors. And every kid in Florida knows that phrase. There are now t-shirts with that phrase on it. I think it's brilliant. I'd buy one. Works again. So you grow up in that magical place, and then it turns out you become an adult, and you still crave it. You want to go back there because there's no place like it on the earth. For our first wedding anniversary, we went to Disney World. Um, That was one of the things that we shared together. And on our anniversary, they do this thing where they give you a button and it's got Mickey and Minnie on it and it says first anniversary and they're very loving on it and that sort of, so you wear it all day and every single Disney employee, excuse me, not employee, cast member, every single cast member at Disney World must tell you have a magical day. Every single one. Street sweepers, food service people, ride operators, you know, the CEO of Disney, if he sees you, they have got to say, have a magical day. And people at Disney World, they come from everywhere. So they've got all sorts of different accents and all of this kind of thing. It doesn't matter. It's like the whole world came to wish you to have a magical day. And you do. You have a magical day. And that's possible because... Disney owns everything. They own everything there, and they control every single part of your experience. That's how they are able to do that. They control all of your experience. We were hanging out with some friends last night. Um, uh, one of them is a Floridian like me. Grew up, we grew up together. And so they, th- this couple, they're, they're a Disney couple. And I know a lot of people are Disney couples. They're a next-level Disney couple. The song that they danced to at their wedding was... From Aladdin, a whole new world. A whole new world. They've got a framed picture of the soundtrack of a whole new world on their wall. I saw it last night on their wall because that was the song that they danced to at their wedding. Okay, so they moved out to California for a while, and they went to Southern California. They went to Disneyland, which as a Floridian I always heard about and never really cared much for, um, but I was curious. I always wanted to go. So they went, and I was asking the husband. I said, "So what's it like, man? What's it like?" And he, he just kind of stares at me for a second and he scrunches his face up. And I said, what? And he goes, it's not the same. I said, what do you mean it's not the same? They don't have rides and stuff? He goes, yeah, 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 they have rides. Like they have It's a Small World and they have Space Mountain and all that. But it's just not the same. Uh, he goes, I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you walk out the door and when, as soon as you get out of the gates of Disney, it's just like a regular McDonald's. And then you're in someone's neighborhood. Like... There's no magic there. And I looked it up online. I did the Google Earth map this week. And it turns out there is. There's a McDonald's right outside the gate. And there's also an IHOP and a Denny's. And if you've never been to a Denny's, it's like a Waffle House without all the pretentious people in it, right? I mean, it it is not the happiest place on earth. Denny's is not. And so it just breaks the spell. If you walk out of there and all of a sudden you're in some suburb in Anaheim... There's no magic in that. It's not the same thing. So the reason why Disney World is special and Disneyland is not is because Disney World is a whole world. 
They control every single part of it. There are no weeds in that garden. They have plucked up every single thing that is not meant to be there. It's the reason why Apple products, Apple computers and iPhones, why they're supposed to be better than the others, because they don't have any of the viruses. They don't have the weeds. They're not susceptible because Apple controls everything that goes on. Christians have tried to create a similar thing, create a world free of weeds, of influence, of interference from the outside. So you can scroll through your radio, and no matter where you are in the country, you can find a Christian radio station. And if you've never listened to one of these, they play um, sacred music instead of secular. So they play Christian worship music instead of regular secular music. But otherwise, they're exactly the same. It's still a radio station. They still overplay the same 40 songs over and over and over again until you're sick of them, right? Except they don't play Taylor Swift. And much love to my girl Tay-Tay. Okay, that is unacceptable. Um, but otherwise, it's exactly the same. I was driving to Atlanta uh, over this summer, and I've noticed the past two summers, there are billboards. I'm not kidding you. This is not a joke. There is a Christian talent agency for models and actors. I don't know what possibly could be the difference between a talent agency and a Christian talent agency, because I'm convinced the Christian talent agency is still going to take 10% as, a, as an agent fee. They're just going to call it a tithe instead of a fee. But that, can, that is only the only possible difference. I've been to several Christian coffee shops. I don't know if you have. Most of them are named Higher Ground, which is cute unless you're looking for a Stevie Wonder-themed coffee shop, and then you'll be disappointed. Um, I don't know what makes it Christian. Like, do they pray over the drinks before they serve them to you? Lord God, please, please, just, just bless this half-calf, 2%, no foam, mocha frap with extra whip. Lord, just use it to bless Karen. You know what's going on in her life. Just, just be with her, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Karen, Karen, I don't know. Why would you do that? Is that necessary? I don't think so. Anyway, uh, have you seen churches with full gyms? I know we have a gym here, but I'm talking like a full gym. Like spin classes and Zumba classes and weight rooms, running tracks, swimming areas. Um, I don't know what the difference is, except I've been in one, and the only difference was the inspirational posters on the wall. They had Bible verses instead of kittens or whatever. And so you have like Philippians 4.13, I can bench all weight through Christ who makes me totally ripped. And that's what it says instead. <laughs> but otherwise, it's the same. And I'm poking fun, but these are all real attempts at creating sort of a Christian world that we can live in. These are real. So when I was in college, I went to a downtown college, and there was a big church, like sort of right in the middle of our college campus. And uh, someone invited me to go to lunch there. They had a cafe, apparently at this church, a little lunch cafe, soup, sandwiches, that kind of thing. So I went, and I walked from my dorm room, and I walked past their playground for the preschool that was housed there at the church. And past all the noisy kids, and all the teachers are looking at me because I'm a college kid, and they're like, what are you doing around here? So I finally get, make my way into the church, and I'm in the lobby of an auditorium. This is not the sanctuary. There's a separate auditorium there that they have for, like, conferences and whatnot. So you ride the elevator up to the third floor, and you get up there, and it's a cafe. I mean, there's, like, mood lighting. They have coffee and all of this stuff. So I order, and then out of one window, huge bay windows, you can see the intercoastal waterway in downtown West Palm Beach. So you see, like, these million-dollar yachts going 
around Palm Beach Island. I mean, it's very uh, ritzy and swanky and all that sort of thing. Out of the other set of bay windows on the opposite side of the cafe are these other windows, and you can look down at the full gym that they have going on there. And uh, I'm sure they were playing Christian radio over the PA system. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't remember it now, but I'm sure they were. And it struck me at that point that a member of that church might be able to go through their entire day strictly in a Christian world. So they could go to this church in the morning and pick up their coffee uh, and then go to work, maybe even at a business that has a Jesus fish in their logo to let you know that it's a Christian business, maybe. And then they would come back there for lunch and have their Christian soup and sandwich in a very safe environment where they're not going to hear any unwanted conversation. Then after work, they would pick up their kids from their church daycare. They would ride in their car with 88.1 the way on the radio all the way home. Uh, maybe even watch a Disney movie at night if they're not boycotting it that week. And then they would go to bed, wake up, do it all over again, repeat until they actually go to church on Sunday morning. And that may be what many people are looking for. And maybe that sounds like Disney World. Maybe that sounds like the goal, like that's what we're up to. And this isn't new. This isn't a new phenomenon. It's new the way that we do it, but Christians have attempted this or a version of it, many times before. We called it Christendom, where we would have kings and they would obey the church and they would legislate based on what the church told them to legislate on and everyone who was within their kingdom was forced to be that religion, whether it was Catholic or Anglican or whatever. And even after uh, the Christian Reformation split the Catholic church wide open, Protestant groups tried to do the same thing on a smaller scale. If you live in our village, you're going to be Lutheran or Presbyterian or whatever. You're going to be one of us if you live here. As a matter of fact, they exported that to the New World. When the Puritans came over, they were known for kicking people out of their village if you didn't ascribe to their theology, if you didn't fit their box, if you, you know, if you like to wear a purple tie, you're out. No, no purple ties. You're out of here. And so they pulled out the weeds and they created their own little thing. And we don't do that anymore. But instead of a Christian kingdom, we've created our own separate Christian culture. It's Christendom 2.0. It's the next version. And there might be a problem with that. Just maybe. So when I was a youth minister, there was uh, no higher attended trip every year than something called Night of Joy, which was anything but for youth ministers. Um, but what would happen was you would go to Disney World and they had a Christian concert after hours. So the park closes down and then all of these church kids show up, thousands of them, tens of thousands of kids in this theme park. And all the rides are still open. Everyone's still selling ice cream and food and merchandise, of course, and all of that sort of thing. And then there's these stages where Christian bands are playing really loud everywhere. And so there's just people all over the place. So I do all my normal youth minister tricks. You know, I would make matching t-shirts so I could see my kids in a crowd. I would, you know, bring extra chaperones because we had so many kids and all of this sort of stuff. I just, uh, I had devotions planned out to try to make the time a little bit worthwhile and, and pour a little bit of Jesus in them while they're riding rides and that sort of thing. Um, but there was this phenomenon once you get there. There's tens of thousands of kids everywhere. We'd be in line 
for a ride, and it would be like a 45-minute wait or whatever. And so I got my little part of my group with me riding Space Mountain or whatever. And then we would hear from across the line, someone like 30 minutes ahead in the line, there's another group in their church's matching T-shirts, and they start chanting loudly. And I still remember it because they did it I don't know how many times. And the chant was, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And then they would point at someone. Well, invariably, my group would pick that up too. And they would say, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And you pass it back, back and forth. And you get louder and louder each time. And it just goes on over and over again. 45 minutes in line on every ride all night long. All night. All night. All night. Except it was way more annoying. I still wake up in the middle of the night sometimes with that chant, and I have to calm myself down. Do you picture it in your mind? One church group matching t-shirts, yelling about how much they love Jesus, to another church group in matching t-shirts who already loves Jesus and then yells about loving Jesus to them. I think Christians might be in danger of being at night of joy all the time. That we're in a Christian place, in a Christian setting where it's nice and safe to be Christian, and all we do is yell at other Christians about how much we love Jesus. And meanwhile, five miles away in downtown Orlando, there's a teenager who doesn't know the first thing about Jesus. That might be the problem. Is that we've created our own little world and no one else can get to Jesus. Because we won't take him anywhere. We're only taking him where we're safe. Our problem in this parable is that we tend to jump to the second part, the interpretation. Where Jesus says oh, the, the kingdom is, is like when, when uh, God's going to pull all the bad out at the end. And then the kingdom is the very end. And we forget about the first part. Where Jesus told the parable. Matter of fact, the interpretation is several chapter, or several verses later. There, there are other parables in between when he tells it and then the interpretation part. It's meant to stand on its own. The first part is very clear. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out and sows good seed. And then the weeds come up among it. But he tells them, don't pull them up. Don't pull up the weeds. Leave them there. Let them grow up together. Don't pull the weeds. Jesus says that is the kingdom of God. That is what it's like. It's like weeds and wheat growing up together. God's going to sort it out later. You don't need to worry about it. Let God do that and just grow up together. So the kingdom of God here and now is not meant to be a perfect place where Christians can hang out being safe, congratulating each other on being Christian. We are planted in the world by God to be with everyone else in the world. We're supposed to be out in the weeds where the real people are, where they're struggling through life. I was at a, uh, at a denominational meeting in Macon, Georgia. And it was good. I got to get chance to see all my friends from Georgia, my, my ministry friends, pastors, and that sort of thing. And so we went to the meeting, and then afterward, we wanted to go out and talk, catch up, grab something to eat. So my buddy Jake, who's a pastor in Macon, we asked him, because he's a local, where do we need to go to grab something to eat? So he tells us about this place, 
He says it's great. They've got all kinds of different food. It's real funky. It's in downtown. You'll love it. So we go. And we order all kinds of stuff. Food really was good. Chicken wings, flatbread pizzas, hummus. I'm getting hungry. Anyway, uh, a lot of stuff, right? And so we're eating, we're enjoying, and the waitress comes over and she brings out something that we did not order. We tell her that, and she said, that's from Jake. He called and said it was on him. We were like, well, that's, that's kind of cool. And she goes, yeah, Jake's a great guy. And I said, so you know Jake? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, does he come in here a lot or something like that? And she says, well, yeah, but I met him first at Beer and Hymns. And I said, um, excuse me? Uh, did you just say Beer and Hymns? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So on Sunday nights, about once a month, uh, people from that church, they come here, they bring their hymn books, and they have a piano player, and they just sit out on the patio out there, and there's like, I don't know, 40, 50 people out there, and they sing hymns while they drink beer. And I was like, what? And so I asked, I asked my buddy Jake about it afterward, and he's like, yeah, it's totally true. It's called Tavern Song, but most people just call it Beer and Hymns. And he says it's about like one-third our church. It's about one-third regulars in this bar. And there's another third of people who just show up for the first time not having a clue what it's all about. I find that amazing. I was asking the waitress about it that night, and uh, she said, I love when we do beer and hymns. She goes, I work those nights on purpose because I get to go and serve out there, and then I hear the hymns, and I start singing along while I'm serving. She says, it's like church for me. That's my church. And I've wondered about that a lot since then. Do you think she would have found her way to a Christian coffee shop ever, that waitress? I wonder if she ever turns to a Christian radio station. I doubt she's ever been to Night of Joy, and much are her blessings for that. But her church is a place where church folk and regular folk sit together, some drinking sweet tea, some drinking beer, some drinking whatever else, and they sit together. And they sing together out where people are. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. It's like singing hymns in a tavern. It's like playing checkers with a second grader at their school. It's like having a block party and eating hot dogs with your neighbors just to get to know them. The kingdom of God is not in here. It's out there in the field which Christ said is the world. That's where the kingdom is. God will sort it all out one day, but until then, we can't pull up the weeds. That's just not our place. We have to go and live among them. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And may we live in it.